0: Welcome back, True Crime Army. I am your host, Margot, and this is a true crime podcast where I discuss murders committed by military members and veterans. But don't worry, you don't have to know anything about the military to listen. You just have to be a true crime enthusiast. And if that's you, welcome home. Welcome back, everyone. How is it going? You all surviving? I don't know who needs to hear this today, but don't forget to take a shower. Yes. I know there's some people out there who, while they're staying at home, they don't have to change out of their PJs. They just kind of, you know, all the days mixed together and sometimes they forget to take a shower. Don't let that be you. <laughs> okay. So today I am covering the most requested military murder case to date. Seriously, I keep a spreadsheet every time someone requests a case. And my spreadsheet already has over 100 recommendations from my True Crime Army. That's a lot. In addition to this spreadsheet, I also have a spreadsheet of another 100 or so cases that I track and I would like to eventually cover someday. So it's nuts how many military murder cases are out there. Well, after doing research on this case in collaboration with one of my listeners, Udaloop, now I know why this is the most requested case. But... A few shout outs before I begin. This week, I have the pleasure of having two lovely ladies produce the show by donating to the Military Murder Morale Fund. Woohoo! First off is Elizabeth. She is fifth generation military, and her hubby is also a military vet. I was so excited that she not only sent me this really lovely email telling me about her family and their service, but she just wanted to acknowledge that she is thankful that my stories cover the sometimes untold stories of our brothers and sisters in the military. Everything that goes on, I mean, it's a difficult life, you know? She was generous enough to donate this week, and I just want to say thanks. My next Morale Fund donor is my lovely listener, Tony Crutchfield. She follows me on Facebook, and for anybody who's on Facebook, you will see that her and I are always chatting on there, and we're catching up on the current current cases week what she loved about it how terrifying the story was and basically everything in between well tony definitely makes the facebook page come alive and imagine my surprise when she also donated to my cause thank you tony for your generous donation and i also just want to give a quick quick shout out She told me that she officially has a military retirement date set for this summer, and I am over the moon excited for her. Congratulations, Tony. May retirement bring everything that you hope and wish and dream for, okay? All right, for those of you who aren't following on Facebook, you probably need to go check it out. It's really super simple to find me. Just go on there, search for Military Troop Prime on Facebook, and you'll find it. Just like it subscribe or whatever it is that you do when you're on there, and you can be part of the conversation as well. All right, now let's get right into the most requested case. It's the case of Lance Corporal Maria Lauterbach, a pregnant Marine who went missing on December 14th, 2007, and whose charred remains were discovered close to a month later in January two thousand and eight. This case has helped shape the state of sexual assault investigations and allegations in the military. And if you didn't already know, April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month. So I felt this case was fitting to kick off the month of April. Join me today as I take you through the tragic life and death of Maria Lauterbach and her unborn baby. Now, let's dig in. My sources for this case include news reports by CBS News, CNN, ABC News, the Dayton Daily News, the Marine Corps Times, Fox News, America's Most Wanted and the Charlotte Observer. I also found the Inspector General report on the Navy Marines handling of the case, and this was a very helpful resource. Also, everyone should know by now that I love investigation discovery. I mean, it plays nonstop whenever I have the TV on. And the kids aren't around, of course. And there's two shows that I've never watched before this time. And they featured this case. The first case is... Or the first documentary is called Deadly Sins. The episode that applies to this case is Carnal Appetite. And then there was another documentary called Deadly Affairs. The episode was Burned by Desire. And I will admit that I wasn't a fan of either of those documentaries. And I didn't watch them until after I wrote the script. But I just... I don't know. I I wasn't a big fan. I wasn't a big fan of them. So anyway, Maria Lauterberg was born on November 17th, 1987, and she was adopted by Mary and Victor Lauterbach when she was just 19 months old. She was raised in Vandalia, Vandalia. No, I don't know how to say that. In Vandalia, Ohio, and she had four younger siblings. She attended Butler High School in Ohio, and she was a star softball and soccer player. But her upbringing wasn't without trouble. Her father, Victor, was a senior master sergeant in the Ohio Air National Guard. And he felt that Maria, she was out of control. She was, you know, she was a teenage girl. She was kind of a hot mess. But more than that, she was troubled. She was having constant incidents at school, including arguments at sporting events and just an overall disrespectful attitude. So after high school, Maria got a certificate in criminal justice from the Miami Valley Career Program And she walked on over to the Marine Corps recruiting station. And on June 6, 2006, she enlisted. Victor was over the moon. He thought, wow, yes, this is exactly what she needed to get her act together. Little did he know, though, that in 18 short months, she would be dead, but not because of a war. Maria's first assignment was with the Combat Logistics Regiment 27 at Camp Lejeune in Jacksonville, North Carolina. She was a personnel clerk, and this was her first time away from home, at least this far. So she actually spoke to her mom daily, sometimes even a few times a day. Soon, Christmas came and went, and then New Year's came and went, and then spring. Spring was finally in the air. On Mother's Day 2007, Maria called her mother to wish her a happy Mother's Day. She wanted to thank the woman who gave her a home and became her mother when she was just a young girl. But her mother, Mary, knew something sounded different in her voice. And that was when Maria told her mother that something happened to her. She had been raped, not once, but twice, by a superior Marine in the dorm rooms. Now, Mary was shocked. What was she saying? And Mary, she was even more shocked that Maria hadn't reported the crime. Mary insisted, you must report this. And the following day, after thinking about her mother's words... That's what Maria did. On May 11, 2007, Maria told the officer in charge that Corporal Cesar Lorian raped her on two different occasions while he was the duty non-commissioned officer of the dorm rooms two weeks earlier. Maria, she was interviewed by NCIS, which are the Navy investigators, and she said that she had sex with Cesar on two occasions, but that she didn't want to have sex with him on those occasions and that she felt that she had been raped. She didn't actually know the dates off the top of her head, but she remembered that the first incident that was against her will occurred in the barracks room, HP 308. And it was one night in late March 2007 when he was the non-commissioned officer in charge of the dorms. Well, the second incident occurred about two weeks after the first in the bathroom of their office building because they worked together. Soon after the report, Cesar was verbally told, don't go near Maria. After Maria reported the assault, strange things began to occur to her. On May 15th, Maria walked out to her car and when she was approaching her car, she realized that her car had been keyed. But upon closer examination, it hadn't been vandalized with an actual key. It had been vandalized with a screwdriver. So it was a deep, deep cut. Maria reported the incident to her victim advocate, and the victim advocate felt strongly about reporting this to the case agent at NCIS working Maria's sexual assault. The crazy thing was that the victim advocate, when she reported this to NCIS, she met a wall. The investigator couldn't believe the audacity of this victim advocate, wasting time with vandalism. The investigator said, listen, report it to the provost marshal's office in case, you know, if Maria needs a, a report for her insurance, and that's who she needs to report it. This is beneath me here at NCIS. And Maria didn't say or do anything. She, she felt like there was nothing she could do. Well, on May 18th, Navy investigators, again, NCIS, they interviewed Maria again. On that same day, NCIS notified Cesar's supervisor that he needed to come in for questioning. And the supervisor said, oh, my God, not Cesar. He's one of my stellar Marines. Oh, (laughs) oh, Maria made the allegation against him. I'm not surprised. That girl is nothing but trouble. Well. NCIS brought in CISAT for questioning and he was in complete denial. No, 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 not possible. I have never, never had sex with that woman. He even said that he was so sure he didn't do anything wrong that he was willing to take a polygraph to prove it. He said, you know what? It's not possible because I wasn't even where she alleges that these incidents occurred when she says they occurred. I wasn't there. I wasn't even in the vicinity. So his alibi for the first alleged assault Remember, it was in March. Well, he said he wasn't actually working the dorm CQ that night. He was home. However, a closer look at the sign-in logs show that he was in fact the CQ on duty from March 25th through the 26th of 2007. And this was based on a logbook where Cesar's initials appeared 30 times. It's hard for someone to have an alibi when their alibi is at or near the crime scene. But Cesar, Cesar, you need a new alibi. Well, during the second assault, César had another alibi. He said, I was on emergency leave, a.k.a. outside the local area. However, a closer examination of the leave books revealed that César was not on leave until late April. And Maria said that he assaulted her in early April. So again, Maria's story was plausible. So although at first blush, César looked to have some solid alibis, These alibis started to crumble, except because Cesar was seen as the golden boy and Maria was the troubled child. NCIS didn't actually discover these discrepancies until it was far too late. Cesar took it a step further and he gave NCIS more investigative steps to take. Hey, listen, during these two incidents, there are a few people that you need to talk with because I was with them. Call them and they can confirm. But on that day, after he gave his statement to NCIS, NCIS said, OK, thank you for your statement. Please sign here to confirm that this is what you said. But Cesar said, nope, I'm not going to sign that. Instead, he said, you know what? I'm going to go home. I'm going to write my personal statement out and then I'll bring it in. OK, well, surprise, surprise, he never brought it in. In fact, a few days later, on May 22nd, 2007, Cesar called NCIS and said, yeah, I have a lawyer and he says not to say another word to you guys. On May 24th, 2007, the military gave CESAD a military protective order, a.k.a. a restraining order. And, mi- and the military moved Maria and CESAD into separate buildings, although they were still in the same unit. Well, a week later, on May 31st, Maria was walking in the parking lot by her barracks when she heard someone call her name. Maria... She turned and someone came out of the blue and punched her as hard as possible in the face. She showed up to work that day with bruising and she reported the assault. Now the victim advocate was like, no, no, no. A few weeks ago your car got keyed and now you get punched in the middle of the parking lot. Like, this isn't right. So the victim advocate and Maria, they contact NCIS. And now NCIS is like, okay, this is assault. This is more serious. I can entertain this idea now. Well, Maria was interviewed about the incident and she didn't have much to say. She knew it wasn't Cesar because although she didn't get a good look at the perpetrator, she did clearly hear his voice and she knows it wasn't him. The assailant called her name to get her attention and then pummeled her in the face. So this just kind of went cold. After this, Maria was going about her life after a pretty terrible spring. She had been raped twice. She had her car vandalized and then she had been punched in the face. Well, on June 27th, 2007, Maria found out she was pregnant. What in the hell? She wasn't expecting that. And well, Maria did. She was kind of like seeing someone, although this boyfriend slash lover, whoever it is, he isn't mentioned much anywhere. Well, Maria calculated the baby's date of conception and she knew it wasn't her boyfriend's baby. She immediately went to NTAS and said, listen, I'm pregnant and I'm sure it's Sisad's baby. So, the NCIS agent picked up the file for the first time, basically like shaking it off because it had like cobwebs on it, because the NCIS agent hadn't looked at it since she had reported her physical assault in May. Well, the agent had to refresh their recollection because, you know, the file was just there collecting dust. Oh, hmm. Victim said she was sexually assaulted by Superior twice once in March, once in April. Now she says this, she's pregnant with his baby. Okay. Well, Maria explained that she had a boyfriend. She had consensual sex with him about four to five weeks after she was sexually assaulted. But she thought that Cesar was the baby's father. So NCIS made a note in the case. The summer months went by as Maria's belly got harder and harder to conceal. And I imagine that at some point she had to change from regular uniform to a maternity uniform. And trust me, I know from experience, there's no way to hide a pregnancy in uniform past five months. Well, Maria was pregnant and still living in the barracks. I don't think that they allow babies in the barracks. So in mid September, she asked permission to move off base. Well, her leadership reviewed her request and said, okay. Makes sense. She's a pregnant Marine. She needs privacy. She can't raise a baby in the barracks. But instead of granting her request to live off base, they granted her request to move into base housing. Well, Maria, ever the rebel, she moved off base anyway and without proper permission. She moved in with Sergeant Durham. The living arrangement was temporary, however, as he had training orders to California And he was leaving in December. And the plan was for Maria to stay with him for a little bit. And then once he moved or he left for his training, she would sublet the apartment. Well, around the same time, NCIS started wrapping up its investigation about her rape allegation. And NCIS gave the file to the legal office to review. Now, NCIS, however, they were recommending that the case be placed on hold until evidence could be taken from the child to see if sis had actually fathered the baby. The legal office reviewed the NCIS file and they saw big gaping holes in the investigation. And the JAG officer, which is the lawyer, he kicked the case back to NCIS for further investigating. For example, remember earlier when I told you about the discrepancy in CESAR's alibi? Well, at this point, it was October. She made her allegation in May and NCIS had never bothered following up on his alibis. In early November, Maria met with the JAGs those who were tasked with potentially prosecuting the case case against Cesar, if, of course, the command decided to pursue charges. And Maria told the JAG, listen, I think Cesar is the father of my baby. It's unclear, though, who knew at this point. But according to a report that was later released, the government, as of early November, they were still intending on seeking charges against Cesar for sexual assault. Okay, so everyone's probably wondering, we know about Maria. Who is Cesar Lorian? Cesar Armando Lorian was born on November 13, 1986 in Guadalajara, Mexico. But he grew up in Nevada. He was Maria's supervisor in the Marine Corps. But he was also married to a recently discharged Marine named Christina Lorian. And they had a toddler daughter together. So this is interesting because if Cesar did sexually assault Maria... He had a lot to lose. I mean, sexual assault is a big allegation. However, if Cesar and Maria had consensual sex, Cesar still had a lot to lose, depending on his unit's reaction to an adulterous affair with a subordinate, you know, because for those of you who don't know, adultery is against the law in the military, although it's we can probably say it's rampant. Well. An unprofessional relationship is also illegal in the military. And this could could include a subordinate superior relationship, even if it's consensual, if it somehow causes dysfunction in the military. Well, anyway, there's a whole bunch of stuff. And I just want to point out those documentaries that I said earlier, they actually discuss that Cesar and Maria had a consensual relationship in the month of February of 2007. And one of the documentaries actually says that Christina found out and she was kind of upset. She was not kind of. She was upset that her husband was having an affair with it with another Marine and she told him to cut it off. César apparently told Maria that he wanted nothing to do with her and then she alleged that he raped her. But it seems there was another part of the documentary where it says that what actually happened was that César even though he had broke it off or they had broke it off, he tried to force or he did force or allegedly forced Maria to have sex with him and that's why she reported it because she said it was against her will. Well, there is a lot going on in this case and Maria is not 100% sure who the baby daddy is and it's looking more and more like Cesar is facing some serious allegations regardless of what they are. On Friday, December 14th, 2007, that was a day of the the holiday party. And we all know holiday parties, right? It's one of those events, you know, the kind no one wants to go and you kind of get peer pressure to either organize the event to put it on your performance report or attend. And then you go and inevitably someone drinks too much and then everyone's talking about it the following Monday. And listen, this is not unique to the military. Okay, this happens everywhere. I get it. Well, Maria was eight months pregnant at this point, and she really wasn't feeling this holiday party that year. She didn't want to go. She knew says that was going to be there and it was just a hot mess. Well, that day she left work early around noon and later that day, around 3 p.m., she called her mom. Now, this is common practice. She leaves work. She'll call her mom a few times a day. And her mom was intending to visit her for Christmas. And they chatted about that upcoming visit and Maria vented about the mandatory holiday party and not wanting to go and yada, yada, yada. But according to Mary, now Mary, not to be confused with Maria, Mary is Maria's mom. During this conversation, Mary had a stern chat with her daughter about this baby. You know, the kind, the kind when your mom tells you how it is, but you don't want to hear it. Well, Maria was young. She was 20 years old at this point, and she had just started out in the military. She was about to be a single mom. And Mary told Maria, listen, you should really consider putting this baby up for adoption. Well, Maria was pissed. She was like, no, 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 no. I got this under control. So the conversation ended, but it was nothing that they couldn't eventually or that they wouldn't eventually get over. Maria was an adult, and she'd have to live with the consequences of her choices. Later that night, Maria's roommate, Sergeant Durham, called Mary and told her about a strange letter that he found from Maria. He said, first of all, she didn't show up to the the holiday party. And then I got home and there was his letter. The letter said, I can't take this Marine Corps life anymore, so I'm going away. Huh. Mary? (laughs) Mary kind of freaked out. And she started calling all over the place looking for Maria. But everyone assured Mary, hey, Maria is fine. She's going to turn up. I mean, she was a grown woman that was eight months pregnant. I mean, how far could she go? Well, Mary tried to relax. Okay, I'm going to relax. But Maria didn't call her that night. Nor did she call on Saturday. Not even on Sunday. And by Monday morning, Maria didn't show up to work. So the military marked her as unauthorized absence. But they didn't go looking for her. Mary was freaking the hell out. And then she finally reported Maria missing on December 19th. This was five days after she had last been seen by either her coworkers or roommates. And the last time that she had spoken to her mother, that was a Friday. Hi, everyone. For anyone who follows me on Instagram, I recently posted a picture of me with my kiddos at Disney in front of the Disney castle. But I posted it because my shoulders were looking on fire, defined, toned, and overall just pleasant to look at. So many of you asked me in my DMs for my secret. And of course, my secret is 4 a.m. workouts. But I get the oomph to wake up at 4 a.m. and work out from my pre-workout drink called Energy Explosion. My pre-workout powder was created by world-renowned fitness guru Natalia Melofit. I have been following Natalia for many years now. And in fact, after my second C-section, I hired her as my fitness trainer. And she also helped me postpartum with my third C-section as well. So when she came out with a pre-workout supplement that didn't cause any of the jitters and the crashing, I knew I needed to try it. Energy Explosion helps with energy, and it keeps me going all through the morning hours. Because I take it first thing in the morning, which is when I choose to work out, I no longer require that morning cup of joe. This pre-workout has nootropic ingredients, which significantly help me personally with mental clarity and focus, which listen, when you're juggling what feels like hundreds of tasks a day, it truly does help. And guess what? My listeners are getting 15% off your order. What? Yes, please. If you're ready to get the pump without the jitters, visit mbodysup.com and enter my code MAMAMARGO at checkout for 15% off your order. That's M as in Mike, body, sup as in Sierra Uniform Papa Papa dot com. Add energy explosion to your car and use my code Mama Margo. That's M-A-M-A-M-A-R-G-O-T for 15% off. Enjoy. And when you use it, please DM me so we can talk about your workouts. So Mary made the report to the it's it's a little bit confusing if she reported it to the Ohio police because that's where Mary lived or if she reported it to the Jacksonville police in North Carolina. But in any event, eventually the missing persons report is made to the North Carolina police. But the police department basically tells her, hey, Mary, stay home because it's possible that Maria can show up. Well. Mary told them, listen, my daughter has made a sexual assault allegation against someone and there's an open case in the Marines. And my daughter told me that she has been receiving threats from the person that she made the allegation against. But Mary tried to relax and she just waited. Then while she was waiting, her phone rang. And it was Maria's number. Thank God she thought as she let out a sigh of relief. Gosh, so embarrassing that I called the police. Mary answered, hello? But the person who spoke wasn't Maria. It was a man. Excuse me, ma'am. I found this phone on the side of the road about a half mile from the front gate of Camp Lejeune. And I just was calling this number to see if I could return the phone to the owner. Well, Mary felt her heart sink deeper and deeper into her throat. She told the man, take the phone to the police department. And that's what this good Samaritan did. Now, Mary waited until Christmas. And when Maria didn't show up and Maria failed to attend her prenatal appointment on December twenty-six. Maria made made her way. She was like, "Okay, screw this. I'm going to Jacksonville. There's no way that she could sit back any longer waiting for her daughter, who at this point was weeks away from giving birth. When Mary showed up, it appeared from all the reports that I read that the police finally assigned someone to the case. They assigned a retired Marine. You know, the saying once a Marine, always a Marine. So the Marine vet went digging According to Mary, they went to the base. And since Mary, of course, wasted no time in telling the cops about Maria's sexual assault allegation, the first stop was to speak to CESAR. And the police went to NCIS because it's protocol. And Mary reported the NCIS was like, wait a minute. Why do you want to talk to CESAR about Maria's disappearance? He has nothing to do with this. Mary was shocked at how protective NCIS was being of CESAR. CNN reported that NCIS told the police that the case against Sissad was still open, but, quote, it was difficult due to inconsistencies provided by Maria Lauterbach. Additionally, due to her history of compulsive lying, she was facing a possible discharge and she was under personal and professional stress, end quote. During this time, the Marine Corps Times reported that it was possible that Maria fled after she withdrew the sexual assault allegations because she was scared the military would pursue a false official charge against her. Now, listen, Mary is not the type of mom you see out there. You know, the type of mom who thinks their kid can do no harm. No, not at all. Not Mary. She said it straight. She knew that her daughter had issues and she knew that her daughter was a compulsive liar. And the only reason I am bringing this up, me, Margot, that I'm bringing this up right now is because Mary actually told various news reporters and she even told the cops this. But she knew perfectly well that Maria had made an allegation against Cesar and if she somehow disappeared or vanished into thin air, the police, they should look into Cesar. Now, Mary also had confided in the world that Maria's biological father suffered from bipolar disorder. So, you know, these news reports are going out. They're looking for this missing Marine and everyone's thinking that this girl is is a a pathological liar. Well, the investigation continued and it's unclear whether the police actually met with Cesar. But they quickly discovered that someone had used Maria's ATM card on Christmas Eve. Okay, pull the surveillance video, everyone's saying, right? Well, they do. They pull it. And it's not Maria. It's a man. He walked up to the ATM machine wearing a hat and then quickly covers the ATM camera while he enters Maria's PIN number and withdraws money. On January 7th, 2008, the police find Maria's missing 2006 Hyundai Sonata. It was found abandoned at the bus station. It was then confirmed that Maria did in fact buy a ticket on December 15th, 2007, But the ticket was never used. That's a bus ticket. That's what I'm talking about. Bus ticket. Now, for us true crime loving folks, we know things are not looking good here. Not at all. On this same day, Cesar was brought in for questioning. And it's unclear if it was with civilian police or NCIS. Well, he came in and he was questioned as a possible witness to Maria's disappearance. But not as a suspect, just as a witness. Well, he returned to work and he asked his boss if he could leave work early to meet with his civilian attorneys. And they said, "Okay, cool. They weren't they weren't really surprised that he's requesting to go meet with his attorneys. He probably wants to know, like, what's going on. On January 9th, 2008, the Onslow County Sheriff's Office updated NCIS on Maria's disappearance, and it wasn't good. They had surveillance video of an unknown male withdrawing money using Maria's ATM. They had the unused ticket being purchased in her name. Her phone was dumped on the side of the road and they had just found her car parked at the Greyhound bus station. Well, on January 11th, Cesar failed to appear for work. Then on that same day, Cesar's wife, Christina, she would walk into the police station flanked by her attorney and one of her Marine mentors with a letter that would blow this case wide open. Open. Until then, though, the hunt for the missing pregnant Marine, Maria Lauterbach, continued. On January 11, 2008, Sisat's wife, Christina, she met with a detective and she told a harrowing tale. As indicated in a search warrant, Christina told the detective the following Sometime in May of last year, which is 2007, Cesar came home and told me that one of his subordinates was accusing him of rape. He swore up and down to the ceiling, in fact, that it wasn't him. And then from that point forward, he updated me occasionally on the military investigation. Well, in July, he came home and told me that the alleged victim was pregnant, but he promised me that it wasn't his baby. It couldn't have been because he never touched her. Then in December, he came home and told me that the victim had just randomly stopped showing up to work. And I asked him, OK, so if she stopped showing up to work, what does that mean about the investigation and the possible charges against you? And he told me that he didn't know. Then after the holidays, he told me that investigators were looking for him and wanted to talk to him. So yesterday, January 10th, 2008, we went to meet with an attorney named Mark Rayner. On the way there in the car, César looked at me and said, quote, are you with me on this, end quote? And Christina, she was scared and she was honest, like, um, quote, I don't know. Is there anything that you haven't told me, end quote? Then César revealed the following. Now, guys, this is like hearsay upon hearsay upon hearsay, but this is all Part of the search warrant, which is why I'm saying it here. And it's all this search warrant. I'm actually going to put it on my website so you can go and check it out there. Well, this is what Cesar said in his letter on December 15th, 2007. Now, the letter is I haven't found it, but this is what was in the uh, search warrant on December 15th, 2007. Maria went to Cesar's home located at 103 Meadow Trail. By the way, it's unclear where the wife was at this time. Well, Maria told Sissad when she went to his house that she's leaving the area, that she was leaving the area. And then she demanded money. Cesar was willing to help her get a bus ticket, and they went to the bus station and bought the ticket. Then they split ways. Later that same day, Cesar heard a knock on the door, and it was Maria again. For whatever reason, her plan failed, and they got into a pretty heated discussion or argument. According to Sissad, Maria was disoriented, agitated and just acting funny. Then she produced a knife and get this. She killed herself by slitting her own throat. Yes, that's what Sissad's writing said. Well, he freaked out that she had just slit her throat in his house and he got scared. So he then took Maria's dead pregnant body to a wooded area adjacent to his home and buried her. When he confessed what happened to his lawyer, the lawyer said, dude, you are seriously facing the death penalty. That only served to frighten Cesar. But now, where was Cesar? Where was he now? As soon as the detectives received this information from Christina, they worked diligently to obtain a search warrant for the Lorien house. And upon executing the warrant, they noticed a freshly made fire pit in the Lorien backyard. And as soon as they moved it, they discovered a grave. Maria's final resting spot. Her body had been badly burned. Once they found her body, they found signs of a struggle inside, blood spatter. And it appeared, though, that someone had tried to clean it up. Well, the police also obtained a search warrant for CESAD's financial records. And they found that between the day that Maria went missing on December 14th, and the date that they discovered her body in his backyard, he had visited Home Depot. Not once, but twice. Oh, snap. What could he have gotten there? Listen, guys, I swear, Home Depot is like every killer's Toys R Us. Am I right? You can buy whatever you want. Gloves, rope, a shovel, a chainsaw, and no one even bats an eye. Although, I wonder if Home Depot has like an employee training guide. Like if you see someone buy all of these items at once, flag the purchase. <laughs> I don't know. Does anybody here work for? Does any do any my? Does anyone in my True Crime Army work for Home Depot? Let me know if that's a thing. Might be. I don't think so though. That would be crazy. Anyway, Cesar was seen on both December 16th and December 24th on the Home Depot surveillance camera. He was seen walking in with an unknown man, and he bought a wheelbarrow, paint, and concrete blocks. <laughs> The autopsy revealed that Cesar's story was a crock of poop. Maria did have a four inch slash on her neck, but it appeared to have occurred post-mortem, a.k.a. after death. And it actually looked like a wound created an attempt for Cesar's story to make sense. Well, that slash on her neck, that four inch slash, was superficial, though, because it had only caused minimal damage to the underlying muscle. Maria's cause of death was blunt force trauma to the head. Also, a DNA test was done on the baby. It was a baby boy and he had, Maria had already picked out a name for the baby. It was Gabriel Joseph. Well, it turned out that baby Gabriel wasn't Cesar's baby at all. So, all of this is going on. The wife reports a letter. The cops find Maria's body. They obtain surveillance video that shows he's buying items that could be used to cover up a crime. But where in the world is Cesar? Well, he's nowhere to be found. He practically vanished. But the FBI got involved. And NCIS was also involved. And it was all hands on deck to try and find Cesar. The case was featured on America's Most Wanted, Season 21, Episode 27. And the following information was revealed. They were looking for Cesar. He had various aliases, including Cesar Gulino, Cesar Sanchez... Cesar Armando Lorian Ramirez and he was 5'9", 160 pounds. He had two tattoos, one one arm he had a like a, a skull and the other one he had a black widow spider with an hourglass on the spider's belly. And the FBI, they were looking for any information le- that would lead to his arrest and they were offering $25,000 in rewards. The North Carolina governor followed suit, and he offered an additional five thousand dollars. Now, side note: Did you know that that on YouTube there's channels that are dedicated literally to just providing information on cases where a reward is being offered? And I thought that this was so interesting. But you know, I guess, I guess for some people they have to make a living, and and that's how they do it. They go try and figure out this is like bounty hunters. They go, they figure out. What case will get them the most money and they do some digging? Hey, get it. Well, according to a report by CNN Justice, Cesar was tracked down to Mexico by a CNN correspondent named Harris Whitbeck. And he was tracked down to the town of Zapopan, Mexico. Well, correspondent Whitman found a liquor store owner named Juan Antonio Ramirez. And it just so happened this was Cesar's cousin who admitted to recently seeing Cesar, like he had just seen him within a week. Although Cesar didn't stay long, he said, hey, I'm just in town visiting with some friends. Well, within six days of that sighting, a Mexican court issued an arrest warrant for Cesar. Information later revealed that Cesar had been spotted in Louisiana and then again in Houston, and he had boarded a bus in Houston, Texas on January 11th, the same day that his wife walked into the police station. He arrived in Guadalajara, Mexico on January 13th. Cesar spent four additional months on the run, and he was finally apprehended in Mexico on April 10th, 2008. However, for anyone familiar with extradition laws, Mexico doesn't have the death penalty, and they wouldn't hand Cesar over until the death penalty was removed from the table. And in September 2008, District Attorney Dewey Hudson agreed. We will not seek the death penalty. Recently, I covered two unsolved cases, which I am sure caused you to pause and analyze your inner detective. Well, if you want to hone in on that inner detective, then you need to check out June's Journey. June's Journey is a mobile game that you can play anywhere while connected to Wi-Fi. June's Journey takes you through the main character, June's Adventure to Uncover Family Secrets. Her first task is to uncover the mystery of her sister's death. You will be using your keen eye to spot hidden clues in the immersive scenes that take you across the globe. The scene is set in the 1920s, so it's like going back in time. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game, and I love playing while waiting for my kids at the bus stop. It allows me to clear my mind from the tasks of the day and to refocus on my mommy duties. What I love about June's Journey is that not only are you searching for objects, But you can join other players online in the detective club. And then you also get to design this luxurious island estate that is all yours. And if you have friends who play, you can gift each other trees, flowers, and other amazing decorative items. Today, I invite you to escape reality and immerse yourself in the world of June Parker. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Go ahead, download June's Journey today. The Mexican authorities were about to transfer Cesar when he appealed the decision. Long story short, Cesar was finally turned over to American jurisdiction in April of 2009, 16 months after Maria's murder. This was a huge case. So when, when he got back to the U.S., Cesar's attorneys requested a change of venue. They felt that holding the case in Onslow County would be prejudicial to their client And probably in an overabundance of caution, the judge granted the change of venue. At trial in August of 2010, it was revealed that Maria allegedly told the bus ticket agent that her baby daddy was a Marine who she couldn't see, but that she expected him to join her soon. And I thought this was odd. When I when I watched one of the documentaries that I mentioned earlier on Investigation Discovery, they made it seem like there was this entire plot for Maria and Cesar to run off together. But it, it's, it's, very, it's very confusing and unclear where that information came from. There was a Lance Corporal who also testified that Cesar told him that he wanted to tell Maria that she could stay with his relatives in Mexico, where he would send her money and later join her. Basically, it appeared that he was setting up a scenario where Maria disappeared. And once people couldn't find her, the Marine Corps would have no choice but to drop the charges against him. But all the while, Maria was just in hiding in Mexico and he was going to be supporting her. Now, Césard's attorneys, they had an interesting tale to tell at trial. His defense claimed that it wasn't Césard that killed Maria, but that it was possible that it was his wife, Christina. Say what now? Now, the claim was that Christina killed Maria in a fit of rage. She was so mad that she swung at Maria one time with a crowbar, and that was the blow that killed Maria. And then everything else was them trying to hide the body. Well, the prosecution alleged that the crowbar was in fact the murder weapon because Cesar had given a crowbar to a neighbor after Maria went missing. Well, that neighbor turned over the crowbar to police and Maria's DNA was on it. It's unclear from what I found what evidence the defense introduced to bolster its claim that the real murderer could have been Christina. But it's possible that the defense attorney didn't present any evidence just to say, hey, it's plausible. Therefore, you guys can't reach a guilty plea verdict because you don't have, you know, it's possible that it was this other person. So basically just pointing the finger. Interestingly, Christina didn't testify against her husband, probably because she had marital immunity. But if she had nothing to do with it, if I was her, I would have taken the stand and fried him, especially if his attorney is going to get up there and even throw around the idea that I was the one that did it. Now, I want to make it clear, it does appear that Christina has been cleared of all charges, clearly because her husband, as you'll see what happens next. Well, Maria's rape allegation wasn't corroborated at trial. There was no Maria, and there was no one else who corroborated that allegation. But the district attorney, Dewey Hudson, he argued that Cesar killed Maria on Friday, December 14th, likely before the holiday party. Then he went to the party. Then he used her ATM card 10 days later, which we have the footage for. And then he fled. D.A. Hudson said, quote, even if the rape accusation was false, the married father of one faced having his career derailed by committing adultery with a subordinate. He was a married man. He was her boss. He had sex with her. He's damned if he does or damned if he doesn't. End quote. The jury consisted of seven women and five men, and they deliberated for five hours and returned a guilty verdict. Guilty of first degree. Of the less serious crimes, he was convicted of theft for stealing Maria's ATM card and fraud. During sentencing Mary, Maria's mom, she said, quote, Maria will always be our hero. Now you will have time to think about your shame, time to think about your failures There are many people out there who will die today, people who would love to have the time that God has given you, end quote. Cesar was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. After the trial, Cesar's family was equally shaken by the entire ordeal. His family wished the testimony would have revealed more about the backstory and how they believed that Cesar was ordered by his superiors to kick Maria into shape, like shape up or ship out. But that information apparently was never revealed in court. Cesar's sister said, quote, he's a nice, nice guy. He doesn't deserve everyone thinking he's the worst man in the, in the world. He's not, end quote. Well, yes, the evidence revealed that he's not that nice. I mean, he killed a super pregnant girl and then he burned her and dug her underneath his backyard. I mean. Good people don't do that. And well, if you thought the story was over, it isn't. I found the inspector general's report that was done about this case. IG, inspector general, it's an agency that looks into wrongs committed by the military, akin to internal affairs for the police departments, but not really. Anyway, don't quote me on that. It just, it's an investigative body of sorts. Well, IG had been asked to look into how the military handled Maria's sexual assault allegation. Remember, this was back in 2007. That's 13 years ago. And while the result was not good for the military, not good at all. The report concluded the NCIS failed to conduct the criminal investigation into Maria's rape allegation in accordance with regulations. Additionally, the Sexual Assault Prevention and Response Program It had lapses in responding to Maria's allegation. And overall, command officials in Maria's regiment, they also had lapses in responding to her sexual assault complaint. Specifically, the investigation wasn't thorough. It wasn't timely. And there were logical investigative steps that weren't taken or completed. There were witnesses that were never interviewed. And Cesar's alibis, they were not investigated to see if he was telling the truth. And the crime scenes, they were never examined. And well, NCIS leadership, they knew about these failures in the investigation and they turned a blind eye. So what gives? What? What exactly did NCIS do? I don't know. I am sure people were fired and checklists were put into place to keep this from occurring again. Mary Lauterbach, Maria's mom, she has fought to have people listen to her daughter's story. Mary has always admitted that her daughter wasn't perfect. But she has always disagreed with the way the military handled her sexual assault allegation. So Mary enlisted the help of someone who could actually make a change. U.S. Representative Mike Turner was the primary partner Mary needed. He fought to have changes enacted through the National Defense Authorization Act, NDAA. The NDAAs in the years since Maria's death have seen huge changes that sexual assault survivors didn't have at the time of Maria's assault. Two big changes are that in the military, one, victims of sexual abuse, they now have a right to their very own attorney, a special victims counsel to help them navigate the military justice system, which is kind of confusing. And two, victims now have the option to request a military base or an installation transfer before their case is even adjudicated. One of the things about the military is that you're generally stuck wherever they send you. So can you imagine for a moment that you're raped by a supervisor or someone else in your chain of command or someone else on base? And then you're just stuck at that base for two or three years. So if you go to the dining facility or you go to the gym, you may potentially bump into this person. It seems pretty absurd to not have even the ability to transfer. Well, the military has actually changed their ways. And they now allow victims to request a base transfer as soon as they make an unrestricted report. Now, 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 don't get crazy. This doesn't mean that the request will be granted automatically, but there are various levels of oversight now in this arena. The Dayton Daily News reported on another big change brought on by an executive order. And that is the fact that victims and their victim advocates now enjoy confidentiality. When Maria made her allegation back in 2007, her victim advocate was her direct supervisor and there was no right of confidentiality. So it's possible that Maria may not have felt completely comfortable telling her victim advocate everything. Now, True Crime Army, listen, this was a tough case to cover because I wanted to respect all parties, especially Maria Lauterbach, the victim in this case and her unborn child. She was troubled, but she didn't deserve what happened to her. Just imagine, Cesat's leadership, they actually thought, oh my goodness, there's no way, no way that he could sexually assault anyone. He's the best Marine ever. He's a, he's a model. He's a model Marine. Yet, here we are. And he's in jail for murdering a fellow Marine who was eight months pregnant. Then digging her a grave in his own backyard and setting her remains on fire. And then he was too coward to face the music. So he fled to a country that doesn't believe in the death penalty. Hmm. Interesting, right? Humans are jacked up and they do crazy things. Anyway, I pulled a fact sheet on military sexual violence, which you can access on my sources page for this case. And the numbers are telling. In fiscal year 18, 20,500 service members were sexually assaulted or raped, including 13,000 women and 7,500 men. Of women who reported a penetrative sexual assault, 59% were assaulted by someone with a higher rank than them, and 24% were assaulted by someone in their chain of command. And the fact is that there's low trust in the system. Over one in four victims who didn't report Feared retaliation from their command or coworkers. And nearly one in three victims who didn't report feared the process would be unfair or nothing would be done. And these numbers are from the 2016 2018 DOD SAPRO reports. Well, we can all be better and do better. If you or someone you know needs to report a sexual assault, every military base has a sexual assault support team. But if you can't find one or you need help, you can always call the DOD Safe Helpline. This is a helpline for sexual assault support for the DOD community. And they can be reached at 877-995-5247. For those of you who recommended this case, thank you so much for your recommendation. Okay, if you like this show and look forward to it every week, help me grow the True Crime Army by sharing the show with your friends and your family. This week, I task you with sharing Military Murder on the social media platform of your choice. And don't forget to tag me. You can find me on social on Instagram at Military Murder Podcast, on Facebook at Military True Crime and Twitter at Military Murder. I want to give a few shout outs to folks who left reviews recently I got my first Stitcher review. Woohoo! I was so excited. I, 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 did, I think I did like a double take or a triple take when I saw that there was a Stitcher review. Well, the Stitcher review is from Tiff B. She says that the show is amazing and it keeps her very intrigued. She says waiting for the next episode is so hard. I know, girl. I wish I could do two episodes a week or maybe even offer uh, like a bonus episode every month, but right now that's not possible, but maybe one day it will happen. I know that over one third of my listeners are listening on Stitcher. So if you're listening on Stitcher right now, pop on over to stitcher.com on the web and leave a review. I've tried to find a way to leave a review on Stitcher the app, but it doesn't work. I think you have to go to stitcher.com and leave a review there. But I would really appreciate if one third of my listeners who listen to me on Stitcher would hop on over to stitcher.com. It takes probably like three or four minutes, but I would really appreciate it if you did that. Okay, so there are so many new reviews on Apple. So I'm going to read just a few snippets. I'm not gonna read the whole thing and I'm not gonna read all of them since last time, but I'm gonna read just snippets. Todd in Miami said, quote, I've never been in the military, but I love this show. Listen to one episode and you'll be a subscriber for life. End quote. Yes, Todd in Miami. I keep telling people to listen, even if they don't know anything about the military. But they're like, "Mm, nah, I think, though, I think they're going to figure it out eventually. (laughs) But thank you for spreading the word and keep spreading the word to all your military and non-military people like Camille2590 says, love this podcast. I need to catch up. But what I've heard so far is awesome. Thank you, Camille. Okay, J-F-I-E-J-C says, recommend for everyone. Listens in the car and takes longer routes to get their military murder fixed. Yes! Although, probably not in the car so much anymore. But it's okay. Hopefully you listen while you're sitting at home. Khalil's mommy says, found out about the show through a military wife and she is not disappointed. She thinks the show is easy to follow and she likes the storytelling vibe. Yes, Khalil's mommy. Yes, girl, I'm here for you. And we have an international review in the house. Ramella from New Zealand says that they are enjoying the show and looking forward to many more. Ashley C., Ashley C. wrote a book, so I'm not going to read the whole thing. Thank you so much, Ashley. She says she loves it. And here's a synopsis of what she wrote. She says that she loves my side commentary and that she subscribed about a week before she wrote this review and she was already addicted. She says, quote, Hill Air Force Base represents, end quote. That's so sweet. Thank you, girl. And um, I just want to say to Ashley, she's left a review almost anywhere that you can leave a review. I mean, she's searching high and low to where she can leave reviews. And I just I appreciate that so much. There's so many, so many of my listeners who have done that. And I really, really appreciate it. It means the world to me. All right, I'll get to more reviews next week, and I promise I'll start with the Facebook reviews next week. So this show was created by Mama Margot Productions with research help from one of my listeners, Oodaloop. Thank you so much, Oodaloop. The show this week was produced by Elizabeth and Tony Crutchfield, and all of the music was created by TyOps. Until next time, remember, you never really know what someone is capable of. So remain vigilant always. You have a fabulous week and I'll keep digging to bring you another military murder story next week. <laughs> Shh, mom's working on our podcast.